right, folks, welcome to another edition of Take Heart. So for today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I thought that we would um, approach the subject of sometimes folks will ask, you know, it's hard for me to memorize scripture or to know where to turn in scripture. So I've got four sections that I want to look at that we're probably familiar with, but it's going to be easy to remember because I'm going to use the same numbering system. So let's just begin. So the first two verses I want to look at is John 3, 16 and 17. So, you know, sometimes we're familiar with numbering. You know, obviously everybody remembers their phone number and, and street address. So today we're kind of going to use that technique to remember verses. So turn with me now to John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 16 and 17. So as we go through this, as we, as we try to learn more about techniques on how to, how to learn scripture, or to, how to commit them to memory, we're also going to dig deep, obviously, in these sections. So turn with me to John 3:16, and we're going to look at 16 and 17. So I'm just going to read the scriptures, and we're going to go through it together. So it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verses that we've heard before, you see 316 at sporting events, and it's always the, the go-to verse of, you know, what, sum it up for what God did for us. So we see, obviously, in verse 16, true love demonstrated for us. God sent His one and only Son into the world. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it, it tells us that God is love. And it tells us that the group of individuals that will be blessed by this it says, whoever believes. So there's a determining factor, a characteristic of those that will be blessed, that will have eternal life, whoever believes. And sometimes this, this I guess, phrase or the, the word that's being used here, we call it saving faith. Essentially, it means to place full confidence in. And so for whoever, whoever or whosoever believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we see there needs to be a decision made, rather, to either believe in Him or not. For those that don't believe, we see that they're going to perish. They're going to have this eternal misery, this eternal separation from God. But in verse 16, there's that key word here. It says, but have everlasting life if you believe. Romans 6.23, if you want to write this in your notes, it says, for the wages, or another way to say it, for the payment of sin is death. Here we go again. But the gift, or the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we move on in verse 17. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. And the word used for condemned here, it, here's, a, here's a definition. It says, Pronouncing judgment and decreeing or inflicting penalty on one person or on someone. So he didn't send his son to pronounce judgments, but quite the opposite, to show love, to, to take the wrath of God because of sin. And it says again, another major portion at the end of verse 17, he didn't send him to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. And we remember when the angel visited Mary, it says his name shall be called Jesus, and that means Savior. And we see here he didn't send it, his son to condemn it, but that the world might be saved through him. 
Savior, Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.4, probably familiar with this verse, it says, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we see God's heart. He, he loves us so much. He, he loves mankind so much that he sent his only son to die in our place. And we see later on, this is John chapter 3, later on in John chapter 3 and verse 36, a repetition of what we just read. John chapter 3 verse 36 tells us, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. We just read that. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So we see God's purpose, John 3, 16 and 17, and we see his love. So now that we, we understand that, that God sent his son and, and it's all about the love that he has for us, let's look at another group of scriptures, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. We just did John 3, 16 and 17. Now you can remember 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And let's take a look at that. Now that we know that God sent his son because of love, now let's look at God's word and what scripture says about God's word. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the numbering system again. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So now we see the purpose of scripture and a little bit about scripture. In the beginning of the verse, you probably heard this description where it says it, it was given by inspiration of God. And if you break that word down, inspiration, it's theonustos, literally means scripture was God breathed, where we get pneumatic, pneumonia, theo meaning God. So all scripture that we read, that we're holding our hands has been God breathed. And look what we see the result or the purpose of scripture. I'm just gonna go briefly through the list of things here. It said it's profitable, profitable meaning useful, helpful. First thing we see is for doctrine, doctrine meaning teaching or instruction. So God's word is, is used exactly for that. It's useful to teach, to instruct us. The next thing it says for reproof. And that means basically to rebuke us or to convict us of sin. The Holy Spirit in our lives saying, you know, this is what you need to do. Do not do this. Next we see for correction. And basically what that means is to correct us when we're in error and restore us to the obedience that God word, God's word tells us. So correction in the fact that not only to show us the error, but now to restore us into the, the state of obedience. In the last portion of verse 16, it says, for instruction in righteousness. Interesting, that word instruction that, that Paul used here in this letter to Timothy, it literally means child training. And we can look at it for, in another way, we could say for discipline in righteousness. For like you would train a child, you would, you would pour into them and show them the right and the wrong way. So these things are what God's word is used for. And we see the result of God's word when we see all these things for, for, for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, for training. Verse 17 is key. It's for, for us, for all of us. 
that the man or the woman, the person of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm reading the New King James for complete. If you had the King James, it, was, it would be that you would be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that thoroughly equipped, it really means to be furnished, like you would furnish a home, furnish a, an area. You, you are equipped. You have everything you need. And look what it says for how God's Word is thoroughly equipping us or furnishing us for every good work. We know in, in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, it says, By grace through faith you have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. But then he goes on to say, after you've been saved, he says we, we are created, we are his workmanship. And the word that's being used there is the word for poem, prepared beforehand, Ephesians 2.10. So once it, we don't do works in order to be saved, but once we are saved, we, we do works because of the Holy Spirit is in us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 tells, or sorry, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 tells us, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we might ask ourselves, okay, so it says here we're thoroughly equipped, we're furnished for every good work, and we know none of it's of ourselves but of God. So how is that possible? Well, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16, another uh, wording or the numbering rather. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The temple of God, our, our physical bodies, these tents as they're called, is where the Holy Spirit dwells and it lives. Interesting description here of, of what the temple was. We know to the Jews it was the holy place and more specifically, the inside, the very, the inside, the holy of holies, the, the holiest place of all, where the Ark of the Covenant was and where the, the Shekinah glory of God would meet them. And the culture at that time, for those who weren't Jews, for the Greek and classical Greek, here's the definition. It is used to describe the sanctuary or cell of their temple, where the image of their God was placed, which is distinguished from the whole enclosure. So essentially, and at that time frame, it was for the, those that were pagans that worshiped false idols. They had their quote-unquote temple, and it was that inner portion. And for the Jews, it was the Holy of Holies. And so for us, that portion, that part of our body, that deep within, within us, the Spirit of God dwells. John 2, verses 19 through 21 tell us, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? Verse 20, 21 of John chapter 2 says, But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And we see that the Holy Spirit dwells. This is a permanence. This is a residing and a habitation. This is something that's permanent. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave. John 14, 17, when Jesus was praying, he says, But you know him, referring to the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So we have this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us when we accepted him into our hearts. And we, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So first we saw John 3, 16 and 17, God's love, the purpose that, that God sent his son into the world. And then we just, we just read in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, 
the purpose of the scriptures, where it was originated, it was God breathed. Now let's continue and look at Colossians 3, 16 and 17, going on the same theme of, of numbering and trying to remember, where can I go for, to scripture to learn things, to, to, to be reminded of these things? So let's look now at Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Now that we know that the Holy Spirit abides and dwells in us permanently, what do we do with that? Or what, what, how does that play out? Let me read the verses. So Colossians 3, 16 and 17 tell us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Interesting when we look at that verse, verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell. And the word let that's being used here is the same word for dwell. So it's almost like a repetition. Dwelling, the word, the, the word of Christ dwells in you richly. And we see this dwelling, dwelling in one, dwelling, it, it, it's, it, it's providing or giving us an influence for good, a permanent part of one's life. So the word of Christ that we just read about, the, the literal God's word, the Bible, that's God breathed, it tells us, let it dwell in us. And we, and we just learned about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And it tells us here that it, let it, or let it dwell in you, dwell in you richly or abundantly would be another word to describe it. it says, so, so dwell in you abundantly. Titus 3 verses 5 and 6 tell us, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit was poured out abundantly into our lives through Jesus Christ the Savior. And it tells us here, as, we, as the Word of Christ dwells in us abundantly or richly, it tells us how it does that. It says in, in all wisdom. Proverbs 2.6 tells us, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. And this, this is the Word of God that we have before us. All wisdom is contained in there. Not the, the wisdom, so-called wisdom of the world. It says here, Dwell in you richly or abundantly in all wisdom. And then it says, teaching and admonishing one another to teach. You know, we, we know what that word is, to impart instruction to someone, to instill a doctrine. 1 John 2.27 tells us, how does that happen when we're reading God's Word? How does that happen? 1 John 2.27, it tells us the Holy Spirit does it. Listen, but the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, meaning the Holy Spirit. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you, or we could say, but as the same Holy Spirit teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has been taught to you, you will abide in Him. So this is a process we just read in 1 John 2, 27, that this anointing, the Holy Spirit teaches you and has taught you. So we see this, this teaching, this admonishing one another, the, the Word of Christ dwelling in us because of the Holy Spirit. 
that word admonishing is not something you typically use on a day-to-day -day basis. It literally means to put in the mind of someone. And sometimes it could, it could be used or described as to warn someone, to give them caution about something. And look in the different categories what it tells us to admonish, to, to encourage or put into someone's mind. One another, look it says, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms, these are things that are put to musical accompaniment. And we see that through the book in the Bible called the Psalms, the, the songs, it's musical accompaniment. The next we see hymns. Hymns are songs of praise to God, directed towards Him, our Father, our Lord, our Savior. And it says here, psalms and hymns and earthly songs? No, it says spiritual songs. So it's those things that are not of the world, but are divine in nature. So we are to encourage one another with these things. And it says how to do it. It says singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So when we're in, around other folks and we're encouraging them, it's, it's done with grace. It says here, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's, so how do we do it? With grace. We find out the location of it. It says in your hearts. And then we find out the direction to the Lord. So all, the, all those questions are answered when we read this. In verse 17 of Colossians 3, this is where it kind of sums it up. Now that we've, we've got this background that, you know, Jesus sent his son. We understand what the word is being used for. And now we're being encouraged on how to do it. But now verse 17, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we have to do something about it. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now it's telling us how to live our lives. There's one pastor, and I can't remember where I saw this quote, but it says basically that you're doing it by lip or by life. But what you say and what you do, in verse 17, by word or deed. And we, we find out that as we live our life on this earth, and we're letting the Holy Spirit lead us, there's a key, key component in this, in the end of verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So we're giving thanks through the whole time, and that's difficult, especially when we're going through hard times. But giving thanks to the Lord, because He deserves it. So we looked at John 3, 16 and 17. Now we're, now we're gonna look at, we looked at Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Now let's turn to 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And you're gonna find out through this scripture, now that we've, we've learned that you know, God sent his son to die in our place because of the love that he has towards us, we found out in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that scripture is God breathed and then we just found out in Colossians how to encourage one another. And then the fact that we have to do it by what we say or by what we do. Now we're going to 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And you're going to find out in this portion of scripture, basically an easy way to share the gospel with someone. It, it sums it up of, of the life of Christ. So 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The last 3, 16 and 17 portion that we're going to look at today. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, 
preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. So at the beginning of verse 16, it says, without controversy, or another way to say that would be by the consent of all. Confessively is another fancy way of saying it. So basically saying without controversy, there's no, it's not controversial, so all agree, all consent that this great mystery, and this isn't like an unsolved mystery. The mystery, the word being used here is a hidden truth. We find out this hidden truth that was revealed when Christ came into the world. In the first part, it says God, or some of the old transcripts might say God, who was manifested in the flesh. And manifested in the flesh is exactly what it says. He, he, he was made actual, visible, in human form. John 1.14 tells us that, and the Word became flesh, manifested in the flesh as we read, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and in the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So first thing we see, if you want to share with someone about Jesus Christ, that, that God came in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. Next we see justified in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it was basically saying that if you want to say an easy way to say it, it was that got the stamp of approval from the third part of the, the, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, justified in the Spirit. Let me read these verses to you and it'll come clear to you. So Matthew 3.16, after Jesus was baptized, it says, When he had been baptized, Matthew 3.16, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. This is the justification of the Spirit. Romans 8.11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. We've been reading about this all, all day here with the, our bodies being the temple. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And finally, in 1 Peter 3.18, to, to bring this part home about justified in the spirit. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for us, the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Jesus is bringing us to God, being put to death in the flesh, key here, but being made alive by the Spirit. So we find out the justification of the Spirit, justified by the Spirit. Next we see in this verse, he was seen by angels. And this is basically telling us this is the, the exaltation of Christ above uh, or in front of all the heavenly realms. Philippians 2, 9 and 11, listen to this. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus Christ, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Colossians 2:15, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And finally in Hebrews 1.16 tells us, let all the angels of God worship him. So we, we see in that verse, seen by angels. Now we see next in the verse it says, preached among the Gentiles. Colossians 1.23 tells us, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, 
of which Paul I became a minister. Acts 9.15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, referring to Paul, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So we know Paul's ministry was to the, to the Gentiles, to us. So he was preached among the Gentiles. What, what, what happened after that? After he was preached among the Gentiles, he was believed on in the world. We just read in John 3.16, For whoever believes in him should not perish. Believed on in the world. Acts 13, 47 and 48 tell us, For so the Lord had commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, referring to Paul, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had appointed to eternal life believed. We see that word again, whosoever believes. After it says, that he was preached among the Gentiles. It says he was believed on in the world. Believed on in the world. We just read that, those who believe. After that, it says he was received up in glory. And this is, this is exactly what it says. The ascension of Christ into heaven. Let me read these last three verses here to bring this point home. Luke 24, verse 50 through 53, and it says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. This is Christ going into heaven, the ascension. Acts 1.9 further describes this. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so where, where is Jesus Christ now? We know he's at the right hand of the Father. Romans 8.34 tells us that. And who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So hopefully through this particular take heart section, you can remember 3, 16 and 17, as we went through John 3, 16 and 17, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Colossians 3, 16 and 17, and finally 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So go back through those scriptures on your own time and, and remember those numbering systems to make it easier for you to uh, learn God's word. God bless you all. Take care.